Hi, I'm Fox 5's Jad Gramson. And I'm Kirsten Montevideo. It's our responsibility to let you and all of our viewers in the Bay Area, Atlanta, the Great Lakes, Sun City community know that we recognize the Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. We are proud of the great news that KTNV, NBC9, WLMP produces. But we but are we also, also concerned, concerned with some troubling trends, trends of the past 100 years. years. These, These modern, modern consequences have greatly increased the life expectancy of those of us who live in advanced countries. But they have destabilized society and have made life unfulfilling, have subjected human beings to indignities, and have led to widespread psychological suffering. All of this while inflicting severe damage on the natural world. All of this while inflicting severe damage on the natural world. Hello, NBC WATL viewers. I'm Snarls Bargley. Tall McCormick. Jort Stammering. We're here to tell you about a plague that's plaguing, plaguing our, our country. country. Let's assume for one moment. Let's assume for one moment. Let's assume for one moment that the law of the law of self-defense on Tatooine is the same is the as same it is, as it is in, in just about every jurisdiction in the United States. States. A, person a person is legally permitted to use the amount of force that reasonably appears necessary to defend him or himself against an apparent, against an apparent threat. threat. If deadly force if deadly is used, force in, is used in self-defense, then the person must believe that it was immediately necessary in order to prevent the infliction of serious bodily harm or death. During, During their, their brief conversation, conversation which, which takes, takes place, place while a blaster is pointed at Han Solo's chest, chest Greedo, Greedo tries to rob, threatens to kidnap him by taking him against his will back to Jabba, and then finally decides that he is going to shoot him. If a person reasonably believes, reasonably believes that, if a person reasonably believes that, that deadly force is about to be used against them, then they have the right to use deadly force in their own defense. The scene never needed editing because it is clear that the scene never needed editing because it is clear that the scene never needed editing because it is clear that Solo, Solo was, was completely, completely justified, justified in shooting, in shooting Greedo, Greedo when, when he, he did. did. In other words, Han legally shot first. These conversations are more alarming as they are all too common on social media. As they are all too common on social media. And now we have the war on drugs, which is bullshit. Which, which is, is bullshit. bullshit. Which is bullshit. It's just a way to get more motherfuckers sent to jail. More motherfuckers sent to jail. More motherfuckers sent to jail. Because, because drug dealers, dealers don't really sell, sell drugs. Drug dealers offer drugs. I'm 38 years old. 26 years old. I'm 45 years old. And no one has ever sold me drugs. Drug dealers don't sell drugs. Drugs sell themselves. It's crack. It's, it's crack. crack. Not an encyclopedia. It's not a fucking vacuum cleaner. People, People are, are full, full of shit. shit. People shoot hair on and say, red meat will kill you. What you mean red meat will kill you? Green, Green meat, meat will kill, kill you. you too. If you're lucky enough to be one of the few people in the world to get your hands on a steak, you need, you to, need to take to a bite, bite out of that of shit. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 This, this is, is extremely, extremely dangerous, dangerous to our democracy. democracy. <laughs> this could have easily just If my mustache would grow thicker. If your mustache would grow thicker, yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it. Though. And if you if you if you if you put that Grecian formula stuff that hides about 50% of your gray hair into your beard. <laughs> that would be you. <laughs> He's got small hands. Little baby hands. I bet they're super soft like yours. Wow, look at that. Those hands look so soft. <laughs> and somebody zoomed in on the... Uh... This, picture, this picture makes me want to never wear jeans again. 
<laughs> you look terrible. Your legs just like they look like they were poured into them. Hi, <laughs> uh, this is Q. And I'm Jewish Dave. This is Bird I fucked Road. That up. I fucked that up, didn't I? This is Bird Road. Why? Why would you? Would I'm you supposed to say, up? and this is Jewish Dave. Episode 26. I bet you never thought you'd see it. We're sitting here laughing at pictures of Kevin Williamson, who looks like he got poured into his clothing. <laughs> and talking about how he's only a few fashion decisions away from looking like Jewish Dave. <laughs> Which is so funny because I don't think anybody else would say that. But no, like, look at this shirt that he's wearing. I, I kinda, yeah, I kind of see what you're talking about, though. Definitely. Look at this shirt that he's wearing in this picture because this is your idea of if somebody called you at the last minute and was like, yo, we need you on a panel to mm. discuss things. And you're like, can I wear shorts? And they're like, no, you can't wear shorts. <laughs> and you're like, oh, god damn it. Uh, and they're like, it's December. Why are you wearing shorts? And um, you showed up. This is how you'd be dressed. Yeah. I, I just want to draw your attention to his right hand holding that little book. Mm-hmm. He's got like a skull and bones ring <laughs> on. And somebody was talking about how he has like those are the divorced guy bracelets. He's got divorced guy bracelets. <laughs> That's funny because Gina got me one that looked like it, but I lost it. <laughs> it's a hint. It's a hint. I love that bracelet. I'm so sad I lost it. <laughs> so y'all never thought you would hear this episode because you totally fell for our April Fool's joke. You dummies. That's, you fucking idiots. <laughs> I hate our listeners so much. They're so stupid. I fucking hate all of you so much. So the skit you just heard. I don't know. It's very esoteric, and I'm sure probably nobody, but half of you probably aren't listening because you tuned it off halfway through. But the Deadspin article, video, edited from all the Sinclair uh, anchors across the country, uh, that that gained some traction over the weekend um, was, or over the course of this week, I just felt like, I don't know, I can't explain the joke. The first, the first, like the first, okay, of the skit that you just heard, the first third of it, that was the Unabomber's screed or his uh, manifesto. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I remember you saying that's what it was, but I didn't like recall the actual words of it when we were doing it. He had some good ideas. He did have some good ideas. <laughs> um, and then the second third of it was taken from a, uh, Alabama.com or AL.com, which is the Birmingham News, and uh, I think it might be the only newspaper of record in for the state of Alabama. Um, so that's a taken directly from a, an op-ed essay explaining why uh, it's okay. It was okay that Han Solo shot first; like they didn't need to edit the movie. <laughs> Because Han Solo was in the right, and it was okay that he shot first, uh, which I agree with, frankly. Greedo is sure. a fucking piece of shit. He, he the word greed was in his name. <laughs> uh, so funny. that we was do a lot of Star Wars on this show, which is and I don't even like Star it's Wars. Weird it's weird because so we never, we, I don't think we've ever had one conversation about Star I think Wars. The, I think the concept of arguing over like Han, whether or not he shot first and the <laughs> amount of energy that's been put into that. I think that it, when trying to explain the skit that we just heard, I think that that's what I found funny about the whole fake news conversation, which I try really hard not to get into that shit on this show because it's so overplayed and done. But um, like that, that's what I, I, I equated to that. Anytime somebody's talking about 
mainstream media or fake news or or, or whatever or, or even Russia or anything. I think of it as the Han Solo who shot first Han or Greedo conversation. <laughs> and then the third one was from um, uh, Chris Rock's uh, 2001 special. I forget what, what the fuck it was called. What's the name of a Chris Rock special? Was it Bring the Pain, maybe? Bring the Pain. It was from Chris Rock's 2001 special, Bring the Pain. I don't even know if any of those things are true, but it's definitely a Chris Rock bit. Classic bit. That was a really good one. Yeah, really good one. You really (laughs) wanted me to steer clear of the ones that were a little um, language problematic. Yeah, I was a little worried about which one you were going to pick. I mean, we could have edited it, but (laughs) it would have been still pretty problematic. Um, so yeah, that's what the skit was. So now that I've fully explained my jokes and taken all the piss out of them and (laughs) completely unfunny. By the, by the way, uh, uh, a little admission here. Um, I was completely aware of the whole Sinclair thing, uh, ahead of that. And I knew what the story was. I knew what happened in that video that went viral, but I had never actually watched it up, (laughs) up until I recorded, uh, my piece of it. Well, it's funny because I mean... You guys have a Sinclair. Uh, yeah, you're you're your I think your NBC station is Sinclair. Will said he remembered them like talking about some of that stuff, uh, which is well, which is crazy to me that Will, our friend Will Hines, who um, you can hear him on this week's uh, Piecing It Together podcast. Uh, right. quick, quick plug for Piecing It Together podcast. Subscribe, download, um, review, rate. But uh, Will Hines, our friend, maybe maybe like a couple years older than us, but he's. St- definitely not in the demographic for local news. And that's one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about was like, are there people, are there people consuming local news, Sinclair stations that are, you know, going to be with us in 20 years? Or is it, I I just get the feeling like it's mostly a demographic is skewing pretty late boomerish. Well, you know what? I, I hadn't thought of this ahead of time or anything. I just, right now you bringing it up, but, um, doctor's offices and things like that is always on these kind of uh these kind yeah. of talk shows uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Like public shows. places dentist office and shit like yeah that you're constantly just you have nothing you can't get away from it it's just there while you're waiting you know let, let's do like a, a a doctor making you wait in the waiting room bit right now but you know while you're waiting there for a long time uh it's on there and you can't change the channel or anything. And yeah, you hear this stuff and you're just sitting there just shaking your head like, Ugh. and they make their money on the election cycles because that's when they make all their revenue every two and four years, mostly every four years, but also during midterms when they're just a wash in, in, in like we talk about all the money, get the money out of uh, politics, money out of politics, but the money leaves politics on its own. It goes into local news stations. It goes into campaign commercials and uh opposition commercials and and uh you know negative campaigning and um scare tactics and shit and the the preferred still across both party lines democrat and republican uh, even with the ascendance of of social media and um the staying power of out what they call out of home advertising which is anything that you you know anything that you literally see when you're outside of your house signs billboards shit like that even with all that, TV is still the dominant. Local TV is still the dominant uh, money magnet. All that cash, all those contributions, all those packs and super packs that you hear about, yeah, it all funnels into eventually uh, all the revenue for these these stations every um, every two or four years. And 
it, it, you know, it, it does stand to reason, though, because the older folks, I mean, say what you will about them. They ain't got shit else to do but vote. They show up and they vote, right. yeah. which is the reason why there's millions and millions of more, more registered Democrats in this country. But Republicans run virtually every single chamber of government. Yeah. And it, that's the reason why, because the old people are showing up. And the people in, you know, they're, they're more motivated. They don't have to be as motivated because they don't really have much going on. Sorry, old folks, but you yeah. don't. You don't have anything going on. Um, <laughs> they so, get a free sticker if they vote. Yeah, they get a free sticker and they, you know, they'll go home and write in their journal about it. <laughs> yeah, the Sinclair thing is funny, I think, because people are just now realizing that this huge conglomerate is, uh, you know, politically motivated, very conservative organization. It's not... As far as I know, it's not specifically aligned with any existing um, uh, apparatus of of the GOP. It's more just like they have an authentic affinity. Like they are – that's just what they are. They're not being funded by the Koch brothers. It's not like they're being, uh, you know, uh, buoyed by, you know, Sheldon Adelson or the, the GOP, um, you know, has a passing uh, sort of familiarity with them and they, they are all – absolutely prominent members of a lot of those groups but it's not like they are you know we made fun of commentary magazine in the past because they don't uh, it's a conservative outfit that's very clearly funded by even though the they keep their funding very shadowy on purpose it's very clear who's funding them it's Koch brothers heartland institute uh, right. you know those conservative free market principle libertarian think tanky type organizations that want to reduce regulation Sinclair is not like that. Sinclair is a business on its own. It does fine. It's doing right. just fine um, as, as its own business proposition. It's a very successful media company. Not even like Fox News where a lot of Fox News is, uh, you know, it's in the larger sphere of News Corp. Fox News is just a cog. It's just one piece of the Murdoch empire. Um, Sinclair is... A monster and it's its own monster it just authentically the, the the people who are in charge of it authentically do feel that way they do support donald trump they do support uh far right uh, you know policies that best described as 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 ultra conservative so I, I think i think it's hilarious that 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 it took that i just find it i just find it not hilarious that's not the right word endlessly fascinating the the thing that will get the hook in the public consciousness because that story was reported a bunch about the, um, the, these so-called must read segments. Uh, a lot of podcasts I listen to because I listen to a lot of left-leaning podcasts have been joking around and making fun of these must reads and all this shit for a while now. And uh, it, Sinclair has been transparently conservative for decades and just this video that Deadspin did, um, you know, kudos to them because they got a they got like a year's worth of traffic on that one video. But right. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, why is that? Why is it there's always this one thing that that gets a perch in the public consciousness and 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 is able to break through? Right. Yeah. There. It's a really good question because whatever it is, it, it, it and it's not necessarily just in politics. It could just be some random news story. It could be like like maybe one of the Facebook uh, data related you know stories, or it could be some movie thing. And whatever it is, it catches on and it becomes like the thing for 
you know last week minutes. um the the Fleetwood Mac song became the right. number one yeah. streamed song because of that vi- I mean there was the that episode of the Americans where they used Fleetwood Mac a, a bunch of times a very well watched show that didn't like cause people to Fleetwood Mac is ever present in culture it you know they play Fleetwood Mac songs still and it, it was it took some random video of a, a a dance troupe a high school dance team performing with the Fleetwood Mac song laid over the top of it for that to just again this weird uh, hold that random yeah. flotsam and jetsam just gets in our in our in our social consciousness we're a strange species is what it comes fucking down weird. to fucking weird <laughs> Now if, um, only I, now, if only I could get one of my uh, songs to uh, do one of those things. Well, be Fleetwood Mac first. I mean, do that. <laughs> I Go do be... dance around in the dark with uh, lit candles quite often. <laughs> do you see my reflection in the snow covered hills? <laughs> uh, a more, on a more serious topic, um, we had a guest. I, I, I went and interviewed um, an, a journalist who I, I really admire and who I've watched from a close distance for a long time. Uh, and it, it, his name's Carlos Miller. He's the founder of um, Photography is Not a Crime. And uh, he, he's sort of a, a journalist turned activist who has an incredible story that we'll hear during the uh, during the interview portion. We went out to Sergio's for lunch today. And um, Sergio's is just a great little cafe spot, uh, Cuban cafe in, in, in Miami. Well, there's a bunch of them in Miami. But if you are real Miami and somebody tells you let's meet at Sergio's you go meet at the one in Coral Gables on the east side of Coral Gables it comes on the heels of uh what happened last night and yesterday afternoon I should say in Crown Heights the story from the New York Times New York City police officer shot and killed a black man who was known to be mentally ill on a Brooklyn street corner on Wednesday afternoon after he pointed what the officer believed officers believed was a gun at them the authorities said the object however turned out to be a metal pipe with a knob on it the shooting drew a tense charged crowd of dozens of street uh dozens to the streets of crown heights the police department had encountered the man before and classified him as emotionally disturbed and the shooting raised questions about what the officers at the scene knew about him so it's still early this barely happened 24 hours um ago but this is just another one of those situations where you can classify it under the larger tag of like racism or um unequal application of the law and yeah sure both of those things are are probably true to some extent in this case and plenty of other cases but there is a sense i feel of um creeping authoritarianism i say that during during my uh my interview with with carlos where it just feels like we're having just like everything is getting polarized the people who are skeptical distrustful of police power or authority in general um to like take your rights and do what they want with you are are getting further pushed that way and i think it, it usually it usually ends up being people who the more experience you have dealing with the police the more you tend to distrust them right. and and i don't mean in terms of like like me my dad was a cop and and i i had lots of experience with him i don't mean that i don't mean if you come from a home like that I mean, if during your life you have to encounter them on their terms, uh, you know, if you don't have, um, you know, like a familial 
relationship with them because usually the, 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 the most ardent defenders of the police are the people who have a familial relationship with them. And I can totally understand that. I get it. You know, they don't want their they don't want their people, their their son or their father or, or their wife or whatever to not come home that night. I get it. So for them, gladly trade uh mentally ill black people being dead for their kid for their kid or their their relative or their their person that they love to be able to come home. Gladly. I mean it sucks, but either them uh, them or their loved one but there's something else going on man people are really rushing to the defense of and i don't know if this is a conditioned response or if this is one of these like social media uh, programmed responses or or what but people are really rushing to the defense of cops who kill people just man. basically like blanket yeah it's uh i i think it's just to me, it's just another side effect of, uh, like, you know, the whole Fox news thing. I, I hate, you know, it sounds so cliche, but like, you know, it's just, it's hammered in again and again and again that there are, you know, the right and wrong sides of everything. And to them, the police are always right. Yeah. And they go down these roads where they like, uh, logic trees, where if you did the slightest thing wrong, they're like, Oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. You know, right. if it's like, yeah. well, you shouldn't have lifted your hand at a slightly too fast of an angle or slightly, uh, you know, turned over the, well, the guy shouldn't have been committing a crime. Well, he wasn't yeah. committing a crime. He was doing this. Oh, well, uh, you know what? He shouldn't have looked like he was doing a crime. Okay. Well, he didn't look like he was doing a crime. He was actually doing a thing that's completely legal. And the thing that he would have construed, but you know, that could have been construed as a crime is not a crime. It's, it's legal. Oh, well, uh, he shouldn't have lifted his hand at a 30 degree angle in yeah. the classic shooting pose. Like, fuck what? I mean, like, yeah, there's, ne there's never going to be, yeah, there's never going to be an end to it. It's just going to be questioning over and over. It's kind of, yeah. You know, again, just uh, once again, bringing it back to the whole Fox news thing, it, it's, it's like a, but her emails thing, but like, you know, over and over again, yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah, exactly. it, it, it never, it never leads to a place of understanding, or or anything it's just a constant trying to win trying to to reinforce what you already thought ahead of time but what you know the thing that i i just find it so gross man because it's this like deference and not just deference but uh, fetishization mm. to, of of authority and it, it it's deeply ingrained in us it's the reason that we go see movies where um you know cops and soldiers are heroes blowing up people and unimpeachably good no matter what they're doing you know that's why i love that movie bad lieutenant bad lieutenant was so fucking good do you remember that movie yeah. oh hell yeah <laughs> that's that's accurate all right oh, yeah. that's a fucking a, a, a picture that tells a pretty accurate story um <laughs> but it, for some reason i don't know man it's like people are in love with authority it's like a stand-in for for daddy or something. I don't get it, man. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk to Carlos Miller. I'm just trying to get another coffee here. <laughs> um, yeah, so so she's we're trying to take... number two at Sergio's, which means we're going to be fired yeah. like out of a rocket by the time we leave here. <laughs> All right, welcome back, everybody. We're here uh, at local watering hole Sergio's in uh, the eastern edge of Coral Gables. I was on. Uh, I'm here joined by the founder of Photography's Not a Crime, Carlos Miller, a longtime follower of mine on Facebook. Uh, 
longtime um, fellow journalist here in South Florida. Uh, I was on my way here today, and I was um, I was a little worried because I saw like five emergency vehicles around Coral Way. I was like, oh shit, they got him, man. They finally <laughs> they finally got Carlos. So um, a little bit of background on, on Carlos. Uh, about ten years ago, on assignment, he was he was shooting some photos. I think it was in Little Havana, right? It was in Biscayne, Biscayne Boulevard, around 69th Street. And uh, from there, what happened? There were there were, there were police present. Um, he was he was taking photos, just as any good uh, photojournalist would be. Walk us through what happened next. Yeah, okay. It was in on February twentieth, two thousand and seven. I was on an assignment for a local website called Category Three Hundred Five, which no longer exists. And I was doing a story on the gentrification taking place in, in what they call the Upper East Side, which is Biscayne Boulevard, 69th Street, in that area where if you're born and raised here, you know that area is very renowned for prostitution, drugs, and crime. So I came across a group of cops who were threatening a man with arrest, and I had no idea what was going on at the time. As soon as they started taking pictures, the cops demanded to know who I was. I told them I was a photojournalist. They told me this is a private matter. I told them this is a public road. And from there, they lost interest in the other man. Five of them came after me, and they they escorted me across Biscayne Boulevard. They told me to continue moving down the sidewalk. I held my ground. I told them I had the right to be there. I kept taking their pictures, and they pounced on me, five of them. They jumped on me. They, they, they just basically knocked me to the ground. They bashed my forehead into the pavement. They, they um, broke my cameras, my flash. They twisted my arms behind my back. There were five cops piled on top of me and they were yelling, stop resisting, when I could hardly breathe. So that right there is what led to me launching Photography is Not a Crime two months later. So I was thrown in jail on nine misdemeanor charges, which I call contempt of cop charges, because none of them, there was no base to any of them. They were all baseless. So you can ask they, they claimed I was standing in the middle of the street. They claimed that there was five charges of disobeying a lawful order, because there were five cops, even though there were unlawful orders, to leave the area where I had every right to be. They had one charge of obstructing justice, one charge of obstructing traffic, one charge of disorderly conduct one charge of resisting arrest without violence. So the street, you know, I just said the photo showed the street behind them. I put it up on the internet. I explained what happened and it went viral. And this was at a time when the blogosphere was in South Florida was very active. So the South Florida blogosphere picked it up and a bunch of um, aggregating sites from around the country, including Dig, which was very big at the time, including um, Boing Boing and FARC. These are all sites that have been around and, and they get it tons of readers and the Drudge Report picked it up. All these sites, they picked it up and and then the local media. Miami Herald wrote a little story about it, the Miami New Times, Local 10, Glenn up Millburg came out there and did a, a nice video on it. And then, so two months later, when I was about to go to trial and all the publicity died down, I realized that the only way I can really beat this is with my talents and my skills and that's writing. And so I said, well, I'm going to just become my own publisher and join this blogosphere down here. Half of them were very critical of me. The other half were very supportive of me. And, you know, I, I realized there was a lot of um, ignorance out there about this issue, about the right to take pictures in public. The people were saying that I have no right to take pictures of cops in public because it puts their lives in danger, which is absurd. Which, and, uh, by the way, part of your um, your your mission when you when you when uh, photography is not a crime. Looks like that started to take off was disabusing people of that notion because yes. that's not legally or factually true no. that you don't have the right to take pictures right. of police in public areas while they're doing right. their job. Well, you know, this was in 2007, so the country we're still in the grips of the whole 9/11 change everything mantra, where 
where we, we everyone looked at cops as like the heroes or trying to protect us from the terrorists. The problem was the cops were harassing photographers and they were accusing the photographers of being terrorists when the truth is out of all the terrorism acts that have been that have been done against us there has been no, no there's no evidence of anyone taking pictures beforehand not the oklahoma city bombing not 9-11 you know they don't take pictures you know they just go and do their terrorist acts you know and, and especially they're not going to be out there with big dslrs obviously shooting pictures from the street so it's ridiculous it's right. insane to, to like to to report that somebody who is so obviously a journalist i mean like there's a look there's a feel even if you're even if you're just a, an, an amateur or a novice right. or something like that it's not surreptitious it's not law enforcement it's just this like unnecessary secrecy and weird embarrassment that is like it, i challenge anybody out there listening go out there and do this because you're in the le- you're in your legal rights to do it and just see if you've got the the cojones for it go see what the reaction is that you get this is something that that that, that, Carl, that carlos has been doing for a while now for, for 11 years and and yes that, that was the whole point is like i wanted to educate people including the police i wanted to you know basically i wanted to clear myself of all the charges i wanted to proclaim my innocence which is my um uh, is it, it Fifth Amendment right, Fourth Amendment right? Is like, yeah, the fifth. You know, it is my Fifth Amendment right to proclaim my innocence, the right to remain silent, even if I'm convicted. I still have the right to proclaim my innocence. The state attorney's office did not like that. The Miami Dade State Attorney's Office, rather than drop the case as they should have dropped it, because the evidence was very clear in my photo, they proceeded to prosecute me. And it turns out the judge I had, Jose L. Fernandez, was a former police. Um, attorney so he's obviously very biased he allowed improper evidence and the, uh, the prosecutor Ignacio Vasquez is a son of a longtime Sweetwater police officer so they printed out a bunch of my blog posts the trial happened more than a year later after the arrest I had been writing the blog and, and I wrote one story about these LAPD cops in LA using their batons to beat up journalists and little Mexican kids during a May 1st rally and they're wearing riot gear. So I compared these these LAPD cops to Nazis and actually put photos side by side comparing the LAPD cops to the Nazis. And they look very identical, except the Nazis were in black and white. I'm sure they and, love that. I'm right, sure well, all the brothers in blue love that. <laughs> well, well they, so because I chose to testify, and I really was adamant about proclaiming my innocence, because I chose to testify, the prosecutor was able to introduce that as evidence. Although... That particular article had nothing to do with the with the arrest because yeah. it was in L.A. and it had nothing to do with the cops. And and I was kind of arrogant with the cop. I mean, with the prosecutor, I guess. I, they told me. They, I was later told I was very arrogant, and which is why the jury did not take a liking to me. So they convicted me of resisting arrest, although they acquitted me of all the other underlying charges. So after the jury left the room, the judge is like, "Do you have anything to say, Mr. Miller?" I said, yes, I have a question. How can you be convicted of resisting arrest when you're acquitted of all the other charges? Right. And he didn't answer that. Basically, to make a long story short, I ended up appealing that, pro se, no lawyer, and I had that conviction reversed. And, and But I had already been placed on probation for that one conviction. During that time, I was arrested a second time on Miami Beach for taking photos. During a Memorial Day weekend, I went out there to report on... On, um, on the hip hop weekend, you know, where uh, you know a lot of black people come down, and all the people who live in Miami Beach, a lot of them are afraid, and there's all this um, fear. And I went down there with my camera to, to do some interviews, and I interviewed a lot of people, and they all told me the same thing: these cops are harassing them, 
for things like standing on the sidewalk or for stupid little things. A lot that, of aggressive policing right, during but, that every but, year, even still. Right, were things that they don't enforce any other time of the year. They were enforcing that year. And so I took a picture of a cop leaning against a cop car and I was arrested again. And so when I was going to trial for that case, it was Jose Fernandez, the same judge who was assigned to that case. And like a week before, I found out I won the appeal. So we had him recuse himself. So uh, you know, the second charge was dismissed. The third arrest was in 2012 when I was covering the Occupy Miami eviction at Government Center. And then it turns out Homeland Security was monitoring my every move on Facebook. <laughs> and they sent that, they took that screenshot and they sent that along with a photo of my, from my profile photo on Facebook, which showed me flashing the peace sign. And they sent that to all the top commanding officers of the Miami-Dade Police Department, warning them what they call situational awareness on their subject heading, <laughs> warning them that I will be there taking pictures. How'd you, I, how'd you find this out later? FOIA requests, or did we, that come we, up in court later? We did a public records request later, yeah. and it turned out. It turned out. And, it, and Nancy Perez, who is the Nancy major, Perez, just for my listeners' benefit, because Carlos, at this, if you've covered uh, the police in this city for any number of years, you are she's ubiquitous, you know who she is. But she was, for many years, um, something, I mean, like I, I think it's fair to say, a very pretty tyrannical PIO, somebody who, who was... Uh, a thorn in the side of a lot of journalists. If you were a journalist who knew how to play ball with her, she was probably she's one of your best friends. Um, and if it was a story that would make uh, any any would make the city of Miami city of Miami right? She right. Was city of Miami. No, Miami Dade. Miami Dade. Miami Dade. Yeah. If, it, if it made um, the county police look good, then she was all behind it. But if you were somebody that was, she was a, an absolute bulldog when it came to uh, journalists like you. Yeah. So well, well, her problem was she left though recently a few years. Well, yeah, ago. because she had no more credibility right. because of my arrest, and we'll get to that now. It's, she had me arrested because I was not embedded with her little like um, and corporate media crew, you know, who were shooting from the perspective of the police. I was shooting from the, per- the perspective of the protesters. And at one point, they were making an arrest and they were trying to put somebody in the, in the um, police van. And I was trying to shoot video, and a bunch of cops were blocking my shot with their videos. I mean, with their shields, including her. I didn't know her at the time, but I told him, I told him, stop blocking my fucking shot. A little louder than that. Stop blocking my fucking shot. <laughs> Something to that effect. Get the fuck out of my way. Get, stop blocking my fucking shot. I was really pissed off. These guys are blocking my shot. She did not like that because she had me arrested later because she remembered. She, oh, he told me off. He, she went in court and she goes, oh, he called me a bitch. Well, we were recording that and then we showed the jury the actual evidence. I didn't call her a bitch. Yeah. I just told her, get the fuck out of my shop. She, so we had to go to court and I brought the camera crew in there and we recorded everything and I was acquitted. And Nancy Perez, who was a PIO for a long time, then stepped down from a position as PIO and basically transferred out to a precinct out in West Kendall. Public information officers are super important to the the, the, the bridge between law enforcement and journalism, they are literally the spokespeople for those of you who aren't versed in the parlance of that. Um, PIO is the person you have to go to, not nope. the person you choose to go to, the person to get the to get the story either verified or to at least get a no comment on record. You have to go to these people. And um, a lot of them are, are, are pretty good at their jobs. Um, the, the guy that just got transferred or took the job up in Ferguson, Delrish Moss, Never had a problem with him. Good. I don't know about you. you no, I, I know. Him. I mean, he, uh, he. I have an issue with him because he spoke lies about me after my first arrest. But he didn't know who I was. and He was just doing his job. But he, he's a good guy. I mean, I talked to him, you know, and and I, I, I hope he's doing well in Ferguson. I think he's a good candidate for that department. Speaking of PIOs, normally 
I get along with public information officers. I've covered the police beat for a long time when I worked for newspapers. PIOs are generally the nice cops. You know, there's always other cops that are kind of rude. The PIOs are generally, oh, they like Yeah, you, they're, they're the they're most housebroken. <laughs> they're the ones that know how to acquit themselves the best. They know how to communicate very well, usually. Generally. Yeah. Except, I mean, the PIOs hate me, you know, because Nancy Perez hates me. And then there was a PIO in Boston for the Boston Police Department who tried to file witness intimidation charges against me. I remember this. Because one of our interns was was calling her about a story. Taylor Hardy, our intern, called the PIO to, for comment. He was recording, except he, he told her he was recording before he actually turned on the recording. So that part didn't come out. Always a mistake. Right. If you're out there listening to this, after you hit record, always say, okay, now we're recording. Right. Now, always now, do that. Now, there's states. See, see in some states are what they call all-party consent states. Right. So, in Massachusetts is one. So, that means if you record somebody, everybody has to consent. you got to tell them, I'm recording. Florida is one of them as well. Like, California is not. If you're yeah. in California, you can call people and record them without telling them. Okay, he called for comment, and he started recording on his iPad, and it recorded like a second late. And then she basically said, no comment, and I'm up. It was like a 20-second video. And then, so he, I, I guess we put it up on our story. He said, yeah, we called him. They have no comment. And then she goes, how dare him record me? So they filed wiretapping charges against our, our <laughs> reporter. I was infuriated. I was furious. I got up there, and I, and I basically wrote the story. And I put her phone number, this PIO's phone number, yeah. which actually I got it from Google when I Googled Boston Public Information Office. And, and the number came up. So I put that number there, I go, and I asked the readers, call them, you know, and see if they can drop these charges against, against our guy because yeah. there's no merit to these charges. You know I mean? She's a PIO, he was asking for comment. And again, know. the P in PIO stands for public. Yes. Everything they do is transparent, it's open, it should be, in theory. Right. Like, there's nothing preventing you from calling these people up. There's no law against calling you calling these people up. So, yeah, so, so I wrote the story, and then our readers did a call flood which is what we're known for. We call it the Pinnack Wrath because, you know, sometimes the cops have to be reminded that we are paying attention. They have to be reminded that we are watching. They're so used to doing whatever they want and being able to get away with whatever they want. And maybe the courts allow them to do that, but we're not going to allow them to escape public scrutiny. So our readers called, and then next thing you know, I was being charged with felony witness intimidation, which carries a 10-year sentence. So I'm facing 10 years. Taylor's facing five years. We have no money. You know, we're not. I mean, we're, we're not really making a lot of money with Panac. You know, and and so we were like, how do we do this? You know, and they say, oh, we have a court date. We had to fly up there and, and for a court date. It was in November, and we're like, shit, man. We didn't have our winter clothes ready. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, we're from Miami. You know, so so we had to raise money through Panac. And this is the great thing about Panac is. The readers are always, they, they come through for us when we need them. And we had to raise $2,000 within 24 hours to hire one of the most prominent lawyers in Boston, which we did. And we hired him, and we didn't even have to fly up there. He had them withdraw the charges, and that was it. And so th there goes that. But, you know, it, how, how petty, how petty it was. That and it's, it's, always, it's always overreach, too. It's right. always not, it's not a... Uh, you know, misdemeanor side of like sort of oh, small. It's always six charges or oh, yeah, felony yeah. wiretapping charges. It's over. It's always an absurd overreach. Well, the lawyer the told reaction. me. The lawyer told me who, who's who has been an attorney in Boston for thirty years. He was saying that the witness intimidation charge is the one reserved for gangbangers and mafiosos. 
That's his word. He goes, you are the first journalist in the state of, in the history of Massachusetts to be charged with witness intimidation. Congratulations. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Look, the, the, one of the reasons that I, that, that I wanted to have you on the show is that, um, number one, uh, PNAC is, is resurgent. PNAC is rising. It's coming back. It's, it's been dark for a little while, and I want you to talk about that. But more specifically, like the country we live in now, the, 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 there's been like sort of an authoritarian bent to it that I think a lot of people didn't notice during the Obama years, which were sort of the 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 the, the, um, the real years where your organization was at its height, yeah. um, calling attention to this issue of sort of um, overreach from the police, uh, you know, uh, violations of First Amendment, uh, violations of public uh, public records and things like that, um, and. The country's changing. We talked a little bit about it during our pre-interview, where there's, it, it's, it's getting a little more, people say it all the time, that the country's getting more um, separated, more fractured, right. you know, but but now on this specific topic, it seems like there are people who are wildly distrustful of authority, not just right. police. To, 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 to say just police is, like, uh, reductive. It's really all authority. Right. Or people who are overweeningly receptive and, like I said before, fetishize it. And like, right. uh, you know, everybody who's, who's got a uniform on is a hero and a, and a, and a god. Right. And um, and I think it's a really interesting time for for PNAC to kind of make a comeback onto the scene. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I started the site when Bush was in office, and this was during the 9-11 um, craze. And everybody was like, you know, freaking out because terrorists and you know cameras were terrorist um, objects apparently. And yeah, it was still the see something, say something era, right? Where everybody was under suspicion. Now, now here's the thing: it, 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 what we're having now is a cultural war. I guess we've always had it. It's just very pronounced right now. And Obama probably brought a lot of it out. And people who were not who were not comfortable maybe with a black president. And I remember when Obama became president, I remember there was Gates. Oh. I think it was Robert Gates. Yeah, Robert Gates. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah Robert Gates. So there was a story, um, and I to, you know, he was a professor, a university professor, where he came back from his vacation. This was the prelude to the beer summit. Right. Yeah. Okay, um, that's where we're headed to. So so, so he was trying to get in his home, and then he was locked out. So I, I think he was trying to climb in through a window or something, and he's a black man in a white neighborhood. So they called the cops, and the cops came. And, and I, I guess he was detained and arrested. I, I, and I guess they didn't believe he lived there. And, and he was very pissed off. And, and it became a national story. And Obama basically, you know, trying to be the peacemaker, he said, well, let's have a beer summit. He invited the cop and invited the professor to the White House where they had beer and to talk things over. And that act, I thought, was very impressive. You know, this is what we need to do. We need, you know, we need to come together and communicate and we're very far from doing that. But when he did that, a lot of people were offended that he would do that. They right. thought they thought he was they thought he was insulting the cops. They thought, oh, he's doing all these for the black people. You know, it, it's really no, he, he caught nothing but but L's for right. that. He, he he was criticized from the left because uh, exactly what you're saying that he was acquiescing to, to power when the cops in the situation were um, on the merit they were wrong. And then uh, from the from the right, he was criticized because I think he had said that the actions. His quote was that he had used the actions. He wouldn't have done them because they seemed stupid. Right. So they and that turned into right like well, headlines that <laughs> Obama calls every police officer stupid. Like right, which is right. well, I mean, and, and, yeah, and, and Obama, I mean, he was right, and he, and, you know, and he had the right approach. You know, we, we need to sit down and, and communicate with each other. I mean, whether it's cops and citizens or, or or conservatives and liberals or or whomever, you know, that's the only way we're ever going to coexist in this country if we are going to coexist. So well, there's been there's been two forces at play 
um, in your wheelhouse, right? Yeah. And I, again, during our pre-interview, we were talking about this a little bit. What you talked about, that sort of oafish, very um, clandestine behavior that results in, in you getting arrested 10 plus years ago. I feel like they've sort of, uh, it, it's sort of the dark ages of police overreach. Like now we were talking about how they're much more well-trained yeah. and it's, 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 it's different. It manifests differently now. It's a little bit more, more sinister really. It's more like a, like a veil is down and you're not going to be able to find out any information, but they're going to say and do all the right things. Right. And I mean, through a weird twisted lens, you can look at that like progress. I see people like, like, like you and like everything, all the contributors at PNAC and also people who, um, there's a whole group of people who I know you're familiar with who uh, tour the southern border right. and, and keep their cameras open. And I, I'm not sure what the name what the name they use is, but they basically test the First Amendment along the southern right. border. And if you look at the arc from the way that you were treated and, and, and the Jeff Grays and the other people have been treated in the maybe early 2010s to yeah. now, it seems like some things are changing. What do you think? Oh yeah, because they, you know, they're finally getting. You know, when I started doing this, you know, I was, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know anything about my background. They just thought I was an arrogant asshole with a camera. And then what happened was, especially after 2010, when I started doing the Metrorail thing, and that went viral. Then I punched a security guard. Then I was banned for life for the Metrorail. But I came back a month later. And, and I came back months after that, and then we did a metro rail protest. I came back with about 25 photographers. Getting banned from the metro rail in Miami, by the way, is kind of a fucking blessing, I gotta say. Like, right. it's kind of, right. I mean, I, I, I don't really ride it, but you know, if you're gonna ban me, I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna go back there. You know, <laughs> screw you. You know, so we went back with 25 photographers and, and a big old sign, photography's not a crime, and they welcomed us in. They, were, they knew we were coming. And, and that, that's how we started making changes. That, that's when we started raising awareness. You know, and then after that, Jeff Gray, who was following my blog, he started his YouTube channel in 2011. He's, he's, gonna, he's one of my main editors right now. And he said he was inspired by what I did. And he took it to another level. He's very good at what he does. He's very, very um, professional. He's very calm. I'm a, I'm a hothead. He's very calm and cool and collected. And so a lot of people were inspired by him. And like, for example, Philip Turner, who's out in Texas, and he's very good at what he does. He's calm and collected, calm, cool and collected. You know, I can't say that for myself, but but who's maybe why I just write the stories. But so he was inspired by Jeff, and then there's people inspired by Philip, and that's what's happening in this country. So a few years ago, you released um, a document, or a, a book, a compilation of best practices. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you named it the Citizen Journalist Handbook, right? The Citizen Journalist Photography Handbook. Okay. What and. One of the things that I love about following PNAC is, is um, reiteration or explanation of things that should be very common journalistic practices, but are usually malpracticed. What are some of the common things that you see mainstream media getting wrong about, you know, being out there and shooting? You know, lately they've been doing a better job. I mean, God, if back in 2012, okay, I started in 2007, and 2009, from 2007 to 2009, the media was ignoring all of these issues. And I was writing story after story after story after story, and the media didn't care. Playboy magazine did a whole article on this issue, the right to record, and, and they featured my photos, and they featured me, and they interviewed me. And then in 2010, when cops started doing, they started using the wiretapping laws to arrest people for video recording. Because, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. In 2007... Yeah, that was okay. a really... You know, that was a real between the legs, behind the back move. I right. remember when that started becoming the, the, the go-to move. Right, the what place. happened was, okay, 2007 to 2009, um, 
the iPhone still had no video camera. It was not until 2009 when iPhone introduced, the, it was iPhone 3S and whatever it was, it came with a video camera. That's when people started using their video cams to record cops. And that was 2009. In 2010 was when cops started using wiretapping laws to arrest people for video recording. They would say, oh, well, you have the right to take our picture or shoot our video, but you do not have the right to record our audio. And they started arresting people on that. And I started writing about that. You know, and again, the media would get it wrong. I remember the Baltimore Sun, even the Washington Post got it wrong. They were saying, they were saying, you got, I mean, this is the law. This is the law. I mean, a cop says to stop. And I no, I would call them out on it. Like, no. Right. And they would call me and interview me then. You know, I became like the, the, the spokesperson on this issue because they didn't know. They didn't know, and, and nobody knew. The cops were lying about it. And then cops are arresting people on felony charges, felony wiretapping charges. The and, premise was flawed. Every, like, they were coming at it from a position, a legal position in, in the media that, you know, police have this weird expectation of privacy that doesn't exist in any kind of legal term anywhere. There was a case in Baltimore, or no, it was Maryland, where this guy was riding his motorcycle and he was speeding and he had a GoPro camera on his helmet and then this undercover, I don't know if he was speeding, but he said, they say he was speeding, he may have been. But this undercover cop cut him off, gets out of the car with a gun and, and just basically points a gun at him. Without flashing a badge, I mean the badge I think came out later, the guy was terrified and you know, and I, I forgot what happened after that, if he went to jail or not. I think he didn't go to jail, but he uploaded that video and then I wrote about it, I interviewed him. And then he went to jail. They, then he, because of that, he went to jail for wiretapping charges. They go, how dare you put a video of us putting a gun on you, pulling a gun on you? How dare you? We have privacy you know, in public. This is off the side of an expressway. And, and this was the prevailing knowledge through a lot of, right. up until very recently, right. like with, with the way that um, that people think about these kind of laws, they were like, oh, no, yeah, you can't report cops and, well, unless you get their is, permission. The problem is, see, journalists have gotten into the habit of asking the cops what the law is. And they, you know, they assume that the cops know the law because they're enforcing the law every day. <laughs> so rather than actually just look it up online, you can do that now and see the actual law, read it for yourself. So they do that. You know, they, I don't know why journalists do that. They, they always have to go find a lawyer to talk about the law. Well, maybe they should just look at the law and, and, and interpret it for themselves. So they're just asking cops what the law is, and cops are just making up the law as they go along. Yeah. And the journalists are printing that. And I'm like, wait a minute, man. Dude, wait, wait. No, this is insanity. And it just went on and on. And I was writing story after story of people getting arrested for wiretapping. And eventually they stopped doing that. I mean, I can be here all day speaking about everything that happened. But you know, now we're fast forward to the future. And you know, we started. I started as a one-man blog for seven years. And I brought some people on over the years. And now we have a new business model on a platform called The Maven, which is a platform where they have a lot of independent publishers, including a site called Blue Lives Matter, which is run by cops. So I'm going to have a lot of fun. Sort of a counterpoint. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> and, uh, and the idea it makes a lot of sense because right now the state of the media is very difficult for independent publishers because Google is not monetizing our ads anymore. They, they're doing that to a lot of people. You know, yesterday, the YouTube lady, the, the lady, woman, YouTube, yeah, woman went into YouTube yeah. uh, corporate offices yeah. because of that exact issue of demonetization right. of her. Yeah. I mean, well, because I, of a I lot of underlying it, things too, mental illness and other things. Right. But, I mean, like, I, I thought still. at the time I thought it was only against um, police activists, police accountability activists. But then, you know, she's a vegan, and I guess they had issues with that. So yeah, there's a lot of people getting demonetized on YouTube. And so that means we can't pay Facebook to promote our stories. And Facebook has it set up where if we want to reach our audience and I have 265,000 people who follow our Facebook page, if I want to reach them, I have to pay Facebook. But if right. Google is not paying us, we can't pay them. 
So, that, so this the new model actually allows us to do that. It, 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 actually get to them. Yeah, it's, so it gives us enough money to pay writers, to pay editors, including video editors and, and text editors, and then it'll have give us money to, to pay Facebook to promote our stories. So it's a good thing, you know? And, and now I'm having like these, what we call auditors, like Philip Turner and Jeff Grays and Dave um, Wardens and Sean Randall Thomas from New York. These are people who have run their YouTube channels for a long time. Now they're going to be writing stories and about their um, adventures and their in, in their incidents with their videos and their cases because they all have cases against them. They all beat their cases, and they're going to start writing for for us. And their videos are going to be reposted on the platform, so they're going to be making extra money with their videos and their stories. So that's interesting because the way that your model, you know, that's a, the the change in the model. I'm wondering, how do you think? the subject matter is going to change. Do you think that what you guys are going to be writing will look different than what you were doing six, seven, eight well, years yeah, ago? It, well, yes, it, it'll, we're going to expand. You know, we're still going to write. It, we're going to actually go back to the basics, you know, because when I first started, it was about the right to record, the right to record. Years went by and finally police realized, okay, we had the right to record. So they started allowing people to record. And then all of a sudden we started seeing all this police abuse. And of course, this has a lot to do with iPhone being introduced. Everyone has an iPhone. Everyone has the the Android, and so all these videos are going. You can upload a video in seconds to, to YouTube or to Facebook or to Twitter or to Instagram. You know, this is the first time in history this has ever happened. So, so all of a sudden, we're seeing all these videos, and cops realize they can't control it, so they're just yeah. going to go on with their own. You know, just continue abusing people because they're getting away with it. Yeah, anyway. at some point, their their legal the, their own internal legal departments, communications departments, pre, uh, PR shops stepped in and said, look. Yeah. This is a losing fight for us. Let's not fight this one anymore. Right. We don't have to, you know, right. because there's so much corruption on the back end of justice anyway. Who cares if there's video of it? Right. How many things have we seen we where saw, there's clear, clear video of it and nothing ends up happening anyway? Well, we saw like Fernando Castillo, he, he's a black man in Minnesota who was killed for reaching for his wallet after the cop told him to reach for his wallet, after he told the cop that he has a concealed weapon, which he was legally allowed to have. a license for it. Right, and the cop killed him and the cop was acquitted. So it's a big issue, you know, and it was, all, it was Facebook Live. We saw it on Facebook Live. And, you know, there's just numerous incidents. And it yeah, more recently, the, the cop was exonerated out from the really incriminating video, which was um, uh, recorded by the cop's own body camera of the... The, I think it was a hotel guest who was. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was crawling. Da Daniel backwards. Shaver. Daniel Shaver was crawling. That's horrible. Backwards. It's terrible. I tell you, man, that's a horrible. And I've talked to his. I've been talking to his, um, his widow for a long. You know, she's, you know, she's been very involved in, in trying to get him, trying to find justice. Yeah. And it, it was horrible. I mean, this is a man in, in this Arizona, which is a very gun-friendly state. I sure. lived there before, and. So this is a man who had a pellet gun, and he was showing the pellet gun to some new acquaintances he, he had met in the hotel. And somebody downstairs saw them pointing the gun out the window. Through a window, yeah, and reported it. And, yeah. and, and all of a sudden, he had the entire SWAT team going in there and, and ordering everybody out the door, out of the room, and making him crawl, you know, and, and he was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and making him crawl, rather than just make, you know, rather than just tell him, you're gonna lay down flat on your face, making him crawl, and then when he tried to lift his shorts up because they were falling off, he was shot and killed. The cop who killed him had inscribed on his gun, you're fucked on it. Yeah, yeah. And he this, was, was a, this was one of these 
weekend warrior style like wish that I you know wish that I, I lived in the Mad Max times totally, like, totally. you know again we go back to fetishizing this type of behavior in this culture yeah, and totally. I mean it, 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 we go on and on just so. like the, 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 the part time cop who bought his way onto the force in Cleveland that ended up killing the 12 year old kid I mean, he wasn't even a, a full. A, he, he had been, I think, kicked off of other other yes. forces. Before, yeah, yeah, right? he yeah. was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He had like um, he was unstable. They said yeah. he was when it came to guns. It, it was another didn't belong agency. anywhere near right. uh, positions of authority. Right, there and they gave him a gun. They gave him a badge. Yeah, and then they quit him. You know, it's just it's wrong. It's wrong. And so I think that that's going to manifest into like, I think PNAC is just going to feel different, and maybe even more important than it was. 11 years ago when we started it up in the next in the next coming two three years i think that there's this creeping authoritarianism and it's manifesting and we talked a little bit about um the the, the president's kind of giving carte blanche to to throwing up dog whistles and giving carte blanche to police everywhere feel free to do whatever you want there won't be repercussions yeah it seems like that's going to manifest itself in your work yeah, differently. Like it's gonna, it's gonna look a little different. Well, I mean, I, I, the issues stay the same, no matter who's president. That's true. At the core, it's still the same thing. Yeah. You know, so, you know, to get to the original question, we are going going back to the basics about the right to report. We are going to continue writing the breaking news and the police abuse videos, and we're going to expand by doing more educational videos and to get more citizens involved because that's the only way. That's the only way we're going to resolve this issue. Is every citizen has a camera, and every citizen knows how to um, do journalism. We need to keep the government transparent. And the only way to do that is if we educate ourselves in the public records laws and if we give a platform where, that we can discuss these things. And that's what PINAC is. It's, it's a PINAC is a platform where we can educate each other and put the records up there. And if they don't comply, then we'll write the stories and we'll put the videos up there and we'll, we'll shine light on them. So give us a, a website. Where can we, we I, I know you're not, you guys aren't fully up and running yet, but you're right. about to be. So tell, tell us where right. you well, can well, go. Well, if you go to um, photographiesonacrime.com, that's the original domain. It'll redirect to the new domain. The new domain is themaven.net forward slash Pinac News. That's P-A-N-A-C News, and the Maven is M-A-V-E-N and .net and themaven.net. But you know, well, you we'll can, put it in the in the episode description. Right. Too, so, you yeah. can go to pinacnews.com, carlosmiller.com. You know, we have so check the them. links for the for the uh, for the the uh, check the episode description for the links, and you're going to be able to, to bookmark it. Tell you. I've followed Pinac since, I don't know, like 2007 probably, and it's always eye-opening stuff. You get to see what's really happening, the real actual um, uh, interactions that, that, that people have around this country with uh, with law enforcement, and you dis- disabuse yourself of a lot of notions of what you think uh, is going on out there. Carlos, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> respect to this recurring bit that never seems to fucking happen <laughs> well did we set I, it up last week did i say what did i say yeah. what i want you to do yeah the, do we, i have to I, I i'm pretty sure unless that was on the one we lost but might have been on the one we lost i just got, de- <laughs> I just got depressed all over again i just got depressed <laughs> all over again you had to I say it know. 
I don't know, but uh, yeah, no, we're doing another. Uh, do I have to? Um, and uh, you are watching um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Already watched it. And I am watching uh, Pages of Notes. <laughs> uh, what's it called? Something Tales is the. Honestly, I've forgotten more of Three Billboards. Maybe now I like it. I don't know. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I haven't written down what it's called, but I'm gonna watch it. I, I I've been having a lot of trouble. Relato salvaje or wild tales. Wild tales. Yeah, I, I I've just been having trouble uh, getting some time at home to actually watch a movie. It's been Gina, a let this guy watch a movie, please. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Plus, I've been doing all these piecing it together episodes, getting in the way, and it's just yeah, I'm gonna watch it though. I promise. Uh, we will do it next week. <sighs> so, so B block. Want to revisit something you already talked about once on the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. So you guys uh, may remember me complaining about uh, Gibson shutting down Cakewalk, uh, uh, who made the software Sonar, which is what I've made music with my entire life. Um, this happened back in November, and I ended up jumping ship to another uh, program called Studio One, which ended up actually being a good thing after all. But uh, it was, you know, I was really pissed at the time that they did it. Um, and we found out pretty recently, I think I might have even mentioned it on the show at one point, that this company called BandLab uh, had announced that they bought the rights to the software and they were going to be doing something with it. Um, well, it just came well, out Gibson, a couple... Gibson doesn't own it at all anymore. Gibson completely right, no. offloaded it. And they're on the... the I I don't remember... Did they just announce bankruptcy? They're on the verge of bankruptcy if they haven't announced it yet. So, I mean, you know, they were just bleeding money. And so Cakewalk just happened to be the first thing they just shed, you know to try to, um, you know, save themselves. Um, but yeah, so, so this company band lab, they bought the rights. Uh, they said they were gonna do something with it. We didn't really know what it was going to be, but they just announced yesterday. Uh, they are basically taking everything that was sonar cakewalks flagship, uh, flagship product and rebranding it as cakewalk by band lab and releasing it as a free software. Um, this was a $500 program, by the way, that costs like upwards of $200 every year to upgrade to the new, uh, you know, new features and everything. So completely free software. Um, you know, I've got mixed feelings about it. Um, on one hand, it's nice to see that, you know, the, the Cakewalk name and the software itself is going to continue to live on in some way. Um, that's pretty cool. And plus all my old music, like if sonar was to ever stop working my old installation of it, uh, and for whatever reason, I couldn't install my old installation. There's the new version that actually I'd be able to just download for free and still open my old songs if I needed to edit them or something. Uh, but on the other hand, this really adds to a, you know, uh, an overall conversation that I think we've talked about before, just about how nobody in this internet age knows how to monetize anything like i don't know if it's funny or sad but i i went to the website just to see like you know is there any opportunity for them to make money off this there's a donation page where if you donate a certain amount of money you, you get a t-shirt or a coffee Great model mark. yeah that's a po the podcasting model <laughs> so that's how a, 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 a previously 500 program a bird road shirt i don't know how I haven't built any kind of function that would enable e-commerce. Yeah, in the process of doing it, but I have them. I mean, like, come to my house, dude. You know where I live. 
<laughs> bird road bird road yeah so i mean it, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very strange time for everything really i mean and, and this is just one example uh the, the cakewalk software um i mean do you think that this is just going to continue to get worse or do you think these companies are just going to all fail and then something new something yeah, that goes attrition. back to yeah yeah it's attrition it's runway attrition look if you ever study, and it's funny because they talk about this a lot on, um, you know, Silicon Valley's very, the TV show is very famous for uh, helping people actually understand the weird, fucked up way that that whole part of the world works. And it's crazy because none of it is really based on making money or monetizing. It's right. all about reallocation of um, of of funds. It's about these what these what these venture capital firms need to do are compelled by their missions to do with their funding for a given year and it's it's more of a shell game than anything it's more of a like let's dump a million dollars on this let's dump 20 millions on this let's value you know let's evaluate this at 30 million dollars and it, they don't for the most part ever expect to see any of that money come back right. um there's very few things that make money and of those things that make money Almost none of them make profit. Uh, and it's really just this very complex shell game of of, of just distribution of, of, of wealth that's been sitting around. It's like all money that eBay made or PayPal made just got dumped into an enormous pool and spread out amongst all of Silicon Valley. Right. And those are like yeah. the only two websites that ever made any money. And right. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's everything else been makes free. no money. Yeah. yeah. And uh and the the pipeline is the talent and the ideas come up through the um the entrepreneur class coming from MIT and from Stanford and Cal Poly and all these places who go into a few small select cities where the venture capital is accessible and they approach with their idea and get funded to some degree or another. And what you're talking about this sort of like second wind that this cake, this cakewalk software that you've loved so well for so long um, is enjoying is runway. It's, it's just runway. Mm -hmm. And what happens at the end of most of those runways is that it just nothing takes off it just veers into a, a pylon or or crawls to a stop or somebody buys the plane and right. somebody else buys the plane for like the seat cushions or something you know <laughs> yeah. like that's that's what happens at the end of runways um nothing takes off and this won't take off either uh it, it how how would it there's no there's there's no way to make money off of it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they're giving away the whole thing for free. Everybody's going to expect it to be for free. Um, it, it also, I think, it devalues everyone else at the same time because you're talking about. I mean, there are different levels of digital audio workstation software, and we're talking about one that competes with the major top names: the Pro Tools, the Cubase, and the uh, uh, Logic, which are the, the three major ones. Um, and this is every bit as powerful and full featured and it's free. Like I, you know, there's I, gotta, I, there's a plan built in there. There's some sort of social component. Watch Here, here's my prediction with that shit. There's some sort of social component built into their, their business platform where they're going to reach a critical mass of users mm -hmm. and they're going to start to, they're going to start to, uh, monetize the data of the users, what right, they're doing, right. 
how they and like use it to create some sort of AI bot that puts all composers out of business. Right. <laughs> like that's what they'll do. They'll just be like, thank you very much for your five years of using this product. Our experiment is over. We have now created, uh, you know, Jumbo, the new, <laughs> the new, uh, you know, multi-composer who is going yeah. to make every song for the rest of human history. Well, we and, know that's, we know that's coming anyway. That's so. coming. Yeah. Really. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many chord progressions, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's only there's only so many ways that you can do like dge yeah. <laughs> i was talking today with some people uh, at work and they couldn't believe when i told them that like last year was the first year that amazon made a profit in like right. 20 something years and that companies like um like uh like lyft and uber continue to not even come close to being profitable. Yeah. They're not profitable. Like a lot, like the overwhelming majority of these companies, uh, even like I say, even the ones that are generating revenue aren't generating profit. Look and at movie, look at movie pass. They, they just dropped no, their price again to uh $6 a month, uh, for unlimited movies. And they just somehow managed to buy, uh, is a movie phone or, or one, one of the big movie websites. They, they just bought it. Uh, they just, did whatever it was they had to do behind the scenes to drop all restrictions on theaters. Like AMC was trying to hold out for a while. They did something and now there's no holdouts. All theaters work. I feel um, like there's still this. And there's no money. There's no money being made. There's still this built-in friction, no matter how easy you make it, like one-click purchasing there's or Patreon with their, like, their model of like you sign up one time and then the content that you like, you just kind of click a button. And mm-hmm. that $5 or $10 or whatever a month starts coming out of your account. No matter how easy you make it um, ergonomically or in terms of uh, sales friction, uh, how many three-click buying iterations you go through, how many Uber Eats type, it's still a built-in huge hurdle to just get a person to pay for a th- – to get – a wide swath of people to pay for a thing online. And yeah, there's oh, exceptions. Yeah. People will always like people like you are can't live without Amazon. Um, people are on eBay. People are yeah, for sure. I'm not trying to say that people aren't buying shit online and aren't paying. What I'm saying is that the transactional nature of online has not become so smooth and easy to support the actual transactions for lack of a better word to repeat myself to to support the critical mass of transactions that are needed to make a lot of these businesses like there's no imperative to get a million people paying 10 bucks a month for cakewalk you can't get it unless it's a like a thing you need for your job and you're a contractor like adobe creative suite you need it for your job if you're somebody who does any of those things like because you're just forced into it. You have to. Uh, Microsoft um, Office, you're forced into that shit because you have clients or you have coworkers who use it and you need to all be on the same page. Can um, you believe people used to pay for email apps? Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's it's weird. Wait, wait. Can you believe that nobody talked about uh-huh. four years ago? Nobody made a peep about this when... Uh, Adobe and Microsoft just decided you couldn't buy their product anymore. You only could um, subscribe to it. 
Right, right. So yeah. instead of 180 bucks, or I think like Creative Suite used to be, I don't know, like 800 bucks or something. Right. And and uh, Microsoft used to be maybe the full one was like what 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now you spend that much in a year. Yeah. It, just subscribing to the fucking thing. The full yeah. Creative Suite. I don't know what it is. I think it's something like 80 bucks a month. To if you want everything, like even the shit that nobody uses, like Lightroom and all that shit, like it's like eighty <laughs> bucks a month. Yeah, that's insane, dude. Like yeah. the, the that should show you how difficult it is to actually in a real marketplace, right? Right. Make a profitable project. project. Well, that's that's actually kind of another funny thing is the fact that it's all nothing or insanely expensive. Right. Like there's no middle ground at all. Yeah, either yeah. it's a completely free app. Yeah. Or it's <laughs> or it's like a ridiculous cost. That or, only or it's that you only, will you will never make a profit if you're paying for this service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're basically funneling your what you like you pay, <laughs> if you're a composer or if you're I don't know, like a designer, you're basically funneling all of your revenue directly to the creator <laughs> of your tools. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I actually, uh, I just wanted to, this is a totally separate subject, but just something that I thought it would be fun to bring up. Uh, do you want to know what the most rented movie of 2017 was? Batman. <laughs> there wasn't a Batman last year. I don't know. You're close, though. It was The Accountant with Why? Ben Affleck. Which I contend is a Batman movie. Yeah, right? <laughs> the Accountant was a Batman movie. Isn't that weird, though? Like, the Accountant was a prequel to Batman. Yeah, I, it actually was pretty good. Like, It was a lot better than I expected it to be. Um, it, it was a pretty fun movie. But well, you know what movie? That, that, really movie reminds me a lot of, that movie reminds me a lot of a movie that skated under... I don't even remember the fucking name of it, dude. It was a name. It was a person's name, but it wasn't a person. It was a law firm, and it was George Clooney, and he was like a fixer for a law. Michael firm. Clayton. Michael Clayton. Yeah, yeah. Um, that movie. People talk about that movie now, like it's one of the best movies of all time ever made. Yeah, people and, loved uh, it back just, when it came out. I mean, when did it come out? Twenty twelve, maybe something like that. Sounds about sounds about right. It was like a big, like critical favorite back then. I don't think it did well in the box office, but. Uh, the critics loved it. Did you like it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're a critic. So, <laughs> what do you love and hate, Dave? What do I love and what do I hate? Let's get into love and the hate. We need a jingle for this bit. <laughs> I love that jingle that you just sang. That was good. Uh, you go first, and I, I'll, I'll get something good here. So, one of the things I loved was. I'm saying this like in a sarcastic way. I loved yesterday. I work in guys. I work in, I work in like you can call it communications or marketing or advertising or anything, but it's really PR. I work in public relations in one way or another. Um, And uh, we have to pay attention to all these stupid dates, right? Like national fucking hot dog day and like national, you know, Wiener schnitzel day and national (laughs) dog day. And um, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. And find some way to like make them relevant for our clients. And, you know, it's, it's, it's soul crushing, but it's a thing that we have to do. And, um, so yesterday was, and, you know, the, the whole point is to get what's called earned coverage. If you don't, if you're not from 
this world. I'll explain it to you. Earned coverage is different than um, than paid coverage. Paid coverage is an advert, an ad. Anybody can right. just buy an ad and put it up. Um, earned coverage in the world of PR is the thing that you're after because it didn't cost anything apart from, of course, the cost of doing the fucking campaign, which oftentimes are the uh, about the same as just buying an ad. But the difference is that it's viewed as more organic. It's viewed as a thing that is um, uh, that is likely more likely to resonate with a populace that is largely tuning out advertising. So stunts, right, and 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 funny little uh, PR exercises and things that that um, that they try to like poke through that that membrane of ignoring brand focused shit because we do we we want to ignore brand stuff so how do you poke through the 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 membrane these stupid little dates you know yesterday was national hug a news person day so (laughs) i I wish you were in town oh god um (laughs) so for national hug a news person day there was it was it, it was a trending topic on Twitter, but not because of the way that the inventors of National Hug a Newsperson Day had hoped. They it was more like being ridiculed and and picked apart by all these like snarky BuzzFeed writers and shit like that. And I think that it's just fucking hilarious that there were all these people saying, "Don't you fucking dare come hug me!" And I was like, "Okay, newsperson, let me see exactly what it is that you do." And they're like, 10 reasons that." <laughs> That Han should have shot first, and like the, the and I'm like you, you're going pretty far calling yourself a news person. I right. get that you're trying to be snarky and be like, I'm a I'm a respectable news person who doesn't put up with PR flax. Let let me get back to my you know my my dissertation on uh, why Godfather three was better than Back to the Future three and <laughs> shit like that. It's like you're probably not a news person. Like if 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 you're on Twitter enough. To make fun of National Hug a Newsperson Day, you're doing yourself a big favor by calling yourself a newsperson. You probably aren't. <laughs> so I thought that was funny, and I liked it. I made I made fun of it a little bit yesterday uh, on the social media. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, so my my love for the week is um, um, my favorite artist Ryan Adams. Um, he uh. He is known to go on the Instagram live every once in a while. And uh, like, he'll just in the middle of a big concert, like just prop his phone up on the edge of the stage uh, and put on Instagram live or like while he's in the studio or stuff like that. And he's working on a new album right now. And he's been just like on fire lately, just posting it in the middle of songwriting sessions and like recording sessions. And it's just not only is it great getting to hear like these new songs like ahead of time, but like, you know, seeing the creative process and all that. It's uh, it's it's been like really fun watching these things, and so I guess that would be my love of the week. Uh, my hate, I would have to say, and I'm guilty enough of this because in the last like year or so, I've had a couple of, I've had a few, and I have a few more in the works of these uh, op eds. You know what an op ed is, Dave? Basically, <laughs> um, opinion articles, yeah. opinion content, which is what like most digital media has sort of turned to in the last 10 years. Mm. Um, I hate it, dude. And not because of the like banality or the cheesiness or the badness or the overall like lack of inventiveness. I love, look, if you listen to the show, you probably know that I love Chapo Trap House. And one of the things that they do that's great 
that I wish I thought of is um, just ripping apart these horrible, horrible uh, opinion pieces that that come from the right and from the left. And it's almost it's almost superfluous or unnecessary to say horrible when you say opinion pieces because virtually all of them are terrible mm-hmm. and just op-eds as a as a as a branch of media are terrible but we were talking earlier about the kevin williamson thing and i realized like thinking about how how big these names are and who they are and how and what kind of um what kind of buzz they generate when they when they get signed to a new uh, team to a new publication and thinking about how unfunded actual reporters are and how I, I saw somebody post today I forget where but they were saying that um there should be a new metric where if you don't have to pick up the phone call to write if you don't have to pick up the phone or make a single call to write your piece then you don't get to you know you can still publish it that's fine but you don't get to get paid for that because right. <laughs> it's you you're, you're working at a news ostensibly you're working at a news gathering operation you're working at a place that uh, collects information and disseminates it and reports it right and i mean all of these people that we're talking about now like all these um Barry Weiss and uh Kevin Williamson's and the Ben Shapiro's and all these people that are whether they've carved out their i can't i mean like i can't begrudge Ben Shapiro except for him being just like a little piece of shit. I can't begrudge him because he's carved out his own little media space. And it's honest work, even if it's horribly dishonest opinions that he's peddling and uh, horrible things that he's saying, um, disguised as acceptable conservative discourse. More power to him, I guess. Like, I, I still hope he, you know, drops dead, but um, <laughs> he's, hurting, he's, he's hurting America. But beyond that, as a commercial enterprise i don't begrudge him he found a little space carved it out these conservatives and and liberals actually on the the new york times editorial editorial pages the the work that they do and the resources that they suck up they remind me you know what they remind me of you remember when we don't hear about it so much i'm not sure if this is still a story or not but you remember that california was in a drought a few years ago I feel like mm-hmm. it probably still is. It's just one of yeah, those things that there's no I space. Think so. in, there's yeah. no space anymore in the national conversation to be talking about California being in a drought. So we just right. don't anymore. <laughs> but I'm sure they still are. I, I don't know. I'm not. I don't care enough to research. Um, so do you remember reading the stories about the the water hogs? And they would. They were like all these L.A. Times stories and um, O.C. Register stories about. Uh, there's an address on. You know, Buena Vista Boulevard in in the Hollywood Hills that, or in, in, in Beverly Hills that, uh, through public records, we found that it uses something like four hundred thousand gallons of water a day, right? Which is more than entire neighborhoods. That is as apt a metaphor as I can come up with for what op-ed columnists are are in a newsroom. They are just these huge water hogs sucking up the resources that are necessary for far more important things than what they do. And they're, they're overpaid every single time they're overpaid. Uh, They're unnecessary. They don't add anything. 
By the way, the funny thing about people like Kevin Williamson and Barry Weiss and, and all these um all these these jokers that are being complaining about being no platformed or actually getting no platformed or getting the rug pulled out from under them or just getting rightly or wrongly criticized is that they don't fucking matter. Like no op-ed columnist changes your mind about anything. You right. don't see things in a new or different way because of an op-ed columnist. There's like none of that shit matters. You might see things slightly different or in a different light through very good reporting. You might come to new conclusions about the world around you based on shit that actually happens to you, things that happen in, in, in your life. There's this fear that if you give people like Ben Shapiro too loud of a megaphone, we're all just going to become conservatives or we're going to become, you know, <laughs> Ben Shapiro style neocons or whatever. And like, because it, it'll just, you know, it, it will infect us or something. And um, this is actually something they were talking about on Chapo. And that's why it's like on the top of my mind. Mm. Um, so I just think it's bullshit, dude. And it's so much ado about nothing. Um, that's my little screed on op-eds. Cut the op-ed pages. Hire however many more reporters it, it, the, the budget that you free up allows you to do it. I don't care if you're um, a, a shitty 20-person newspaper in the middle of, of Mobile, Alabama. I don't care if you're the New York Times. Cut your op-ed pages. Get rid of them. I don't care if you're CNN. Stop spending a single... Maybe take free submissions. Keep up, Keep op-ed pages... Keep the editorial pages for letters. Everything just becomes a letter to the editor. No financial transaction happening. No resources spent on it. And just fucking put, you know, get issue that entire branch of quote unquote journalism because it adds nothing. <laughs> I, I can't disagree with you on any of that. <laughs> because you're not informed enough. <laughs> you can't parry my thrusts. Whoa. <laughs> oh god well my, my, my hate's not gonna sound uh quite as uh smart or it never does anything like that <laughs> and it's actually just a very kind of stupid one but um i'm in the process of finishing up my new album and uh I, I'm trying. I was trying to burn test copies because you know, it, even though nobody listens on CD anymore, you still want to uh, master you, it. About burn. Yeah, I know. You, you still need to master it, like you know, for the best possible quality, not for streaming. You know, and then it just gets downsampled to streaming. But you still want to master it the best possible quality, and that's going to be uh, making a CD and testing it out places on the CD, and. Um, I, usually when I finish an album, I test it out, obviously, in headphones, uh, my favorite stereo, uh, the car, you know, a bunch of places to to get a variety of sound and, and make sure it's sounding good everywhere. Um, and one of those places is my surround sound system that's attached to my TV. Um, so the only way I have to play any form of disc on my TV is I have a, a PlayStation 4 and an Xbox One. And I, I don't know why or when or how, but both of them have at some point received some kind of update that makes it where they don't read CDs anymore. <laughs> so now I have so no, weird. I have but, but no I, way. I completely believe it. 
Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, why take that away? The the system literally used to play CDs, um, and it just does not play them anymore. Uh, so yeah, I I basically the only thing I could do is is make a USB stick with MP3s and like plug it in and and play it. But then it's MP3s; it's not uh, full uncompressed uh, audio. So um, yeah, so th- that that's what I I'm hearing. And I, I know that I know that this is like very foreign to you, but there's like I can't picture. I don't care how many people tell me that it's great. I can't picture ever buying those stupid fucking earbuds for the for the the new iPhones. Right. I just won't ever. I won't ever do that. I won't ever not have a little headphone ear jack cord. Like I don't like it. I just will never like it. I mean, it's not a. It's not a new invention. There, there were there were Jabra fucking Bluetooth headsets. 15 years ago we were right. i was selling them as a fucking college kid working at uh working at, <laughs> at t-mobile in the in, in the mall i was selling them they, I, and they just repackage it and come back 15 years later and are like oh we're reinventing the fucking world no you're not you're just you bought jabra and you just turn that into yeah like these smaller earbuds and i don't care how you dress it up it's it, it's uncomfortable it doesn't feel good people don't hear you well um earbuds it, suck I, I, I fucking hate suck. Yeah. Bluetooth fucking sucks. It sucks yeah. all the time, a hundred percent of the time. It doesn't <laughs> work the right way. It it like anything Bluetooth is garbage. It's true. Hundred percent technology for assholes and nobodies. That's the biggest problem with virtual reality. Actually, is that you absolutely yeah you never know if your headphones and your controllers are going to be connected at any given time. You you, you may have hit every correct button. But oh, your, your your controller isn't actually connected yet because something in the Bluetooth messed up. So worthless. Um, all right, so let's do our plugs, homie. Yes, yes. A good uh, episode. We cranked yeah, it out. We, we're we at did it. We did minutes. it. I'm gonna need to cut it down to like 30 minutes. But <laughs> uh, I have a good uh, plug actually. Um, th- this coming week uh, this is perfect timing. This coming week is going to be the NAB convention uh, here in Las Vegas. National, National Association of Broadcasters. There's going to be a lot of podcast Nab. stuff happening, Nab. including the uh, the podcast movement meetup, uh, which is happening on April 10th, 10th uh, uh, at Rebar, where we did our live show. Um, and I yeah, am looking forward to that. Nab. It should be a really good time. And uh, also did NAB. You, did you NAB today? <laughs> Mama. Did you nab? Did you make nab? <laughs> do you think I should redo that plug, or should Did we just nab? Leave it, <laughs> leave it as is. Nab. <laughs> oh god! Also, I have five episodes of my uh, piecing it together up now. Peeping and I got, shitty feathers. I got two download, more coming, coming peeping out shitty week. feathers. <laughs> and I'm working on my new album, "Different Kind of Dreams," coming out at the end of April. Oh. oh. Got it in without any nabs in the background. Boom. I've, I've, I've held off on plugging this because it was so far away when it was booked, but now we're getting pretty close. I don't know if you're the kind of person that's into public relations or communications or any of that shit that I was talking about earlier that I that I do for my day job. Um, you're going to be able to, and you're anywhere near the greater Atlanta area in early May. May 7th through 9th is the uh, social shakeup show. Uh, where I will be, um, along with some other people, uh, mostly me though, holding a three-hour podcast training workshop 
how to do that. It's pretty expensive. It's like eleven or twelve hundred bucks. Can um, I get a free pass? Nope. And they uh, they will give you. It's hey, twenty five hundred. Q. Can I get a free pass? Nab. <laughs> I mean, really, if I actually like, if I shocked you and bought a plane ticket, I literally couldn't. I could give you half off. And it's half off of twenty five hundred dollars. That which that is twelve hundred fifty dollars. That sounds kind of ridiculous. Like I could I, maybe I, get you in I, as my assistant. Yeah, is yeah, this yeah. Happening? Are we doing this? <laughs> I mean, I believe that you can't get me in, but I don't believe you can get me fifty percent off. That's uh, that's so <coughs> weird. I can, I can get you fifty percent off. Uh, actually, anybody out there, um, if you use my last name, registering at socialshakeupshow.com. Uh, last name Quinones. I know I don't use it that much on this podcast, but um, Q U I N O N E S. You actually can. If I don't know, I don't know how many like PR people. Honestly, I don't know how many of you folks out there are going to be like this is going to be pertinent for. But if you happen to be Johnny a person, Rubs, if you're Johnny planning, Rubs, make sure you use that code. Mix to the Bizzo, uh, <laughs> uh, Rachel Sunseth. If, if any of you are in public relations or communications and you feel like you need to come out to Atlanta, maybe you're already in Atlanta. Social what do you shape? think Seth is up to right now? Oh, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs>